Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Stand to your feet for the reading of the word. It's a long one too, so buckle up. Revelations 1, 7 through 20 says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patience, patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven church of Ephesus or seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergium, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Then he he placed his right hand on me. He said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Jesus, take the wheel. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're in week two of our apocalypse series. As we go through Revelation, that word in the Greek is apocalypse. It means a revealing and uncovering of what used to be covered. And I believe God has some good stuff for us today. Are you ready? You know, when people dive into Revelation, sometimes there's people that dive into it because they want to understand what's going to happen in the end. I want to be able to figure this out. I got to understand end times. Are we really in the end times? Are these the last days? 
Uh, how can we predict what's going to happen in the future? And people get caught up in predictions. And predictions are kind of an interesting yet scary thing to get caught up into. You think about it, right? Because predictions, like anybody can make a prediction. The issue is, is it going to come true or not, right? Like I predict you're going to eat lunch today. It's pretty safe prediction, I think, right? Um, I predict the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, it's probably not a very safe prediction at this point. But I predict the Suns win the NBA championship. I would love to see that. Anybody with me on that? There's a guy named Milton Wright, and he's famous for having this conversation with a friend of his. And his friend said that he believed that people would fly within 50 years. And Milton said, no way. People cannot, will not fly. It will not happen. Two different predictions, two different guys. Well, Milton had two sons. You might have heard of them, Orville and Wilbur, right? The Wright brothers, okay, so they proved their own dad wrong. They became like the pioneers of aviation, and so the prediction of their dad was wrong not too long after that, but the prediction of that other guy, he was, was right. And so as we approach Revelation, we gotta be careful we don't get caught up in predictions and trying to find out like, when's it gonna happen, and, and I gotta make sure that I know and be ready, and there's people that get caught up in this. Have you seen it? If you've been around the church for a few decades, you've really, really seen it. And if you were a part of the church back in the 70s and 80s, you might remember this book. It's a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. It's a pretty popular book because it sold 4.5 million copies. That's a lot of copies. People bought this and people were believing it. They were all caught up in this. They, they were excited about it. And in case you're wondering, it didn't happen. And I looked online for this book. It's out of print, but I think you could probably find it somewhere online if you're interested in reading this fascinating book right here. Someone who got caught up in predictions. Hey, Jesus said, don't do that, which is interesting that people do it. Jesus said, only the Father knows. I don't even know, but here's what we do know. Jesus is coming back. We do know that, friends. And so we can hold on to that. And Jesus himself even told us that he was coming back. He said it many times. John chapter 14 is one of the times that he said it. And let's look at this. It says, uh, Jesus said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you, may, you also may be where I am. So right there clearly, Jesus says, I'm coming back. I want to bring you to where I'm at right now. Okay, so then Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and then he's standing before his 11 disciples, just before he ascends into heaven, he gives them these words. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8, record this. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. We looked at this verse last week. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you were with us last week, we talked about the importance of the word witness, That word witness means someone who is wanting to, willing to testify about Jesus and willing to die for their testimony of Jesus. It literally connotates both of those meanings. Not just I'm willing to talk about Jesus, but I'm willing to die for the gospel of Jesus. That's what a true witness is. And so Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you to be a witness like that. 
So he says, go wait for the gift that I've been telling you about. And so they go back to Jerusalem. They're waiting in the city. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. Ten days, they have a 10-day prayer meeting. And then finally, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls. They're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then speaking in tongues, they begin speaking in other languages. It draws a huge crowd, like thousands of people hear about this. They see it. They show up. What's going on here? There's people from out of town that are saying, these people are speaking my language. How are they speaking my language? Because these are like Galilean people who wouldn't know this language, and they accuse them of being drunk, which is an interesting accusation because typically when people get drunk, their speech becomes less eloquent. <laughs> it's typically what happens, right? Not more eloquent, not other languages, all that kind of stuff. So Peter stands up and he addresses the whole crowd, thousands of people here in this moment, and he speaks to them. Verse two, sorry, chapter two, verse 14 says it. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so what Peter is doing is he is saying what is happening right here in this moment, in this day, is what the prophet Joel from the Old Testament, who all of them would have been familiar with, spoke about prophesied about hundreds of years before that day. He says, hey, remember, Joel talked about this. And so then he begins to quote Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And he goes on to quote some more and say some other things. But notice the verbiage that Peter uses quoting Joel. Because Joel says, this is what will happen in the last days. And this is what people are wondering about right now. Are we in the last days? Is this the end times? Well, Peter stands up and says, the last days begin today. As the Spirit is being poured out, because remember, Joel talked about this. God says he'll pour out his Spirit in the last days. Friends, we are already in the last days. They've already been here for 2,000 years since that moment right there. That was the birth of the church, and the last days began right there. So, it's important we understand that, and it's important also we understand that the first century church, they lived with this anticipation that Jesus would come back before they died. And if they lived with that expectation, Lord knows we should as well. As we look around at the signs of the times and what's going on here, you know, Jesus didn't say you can predict it, but he, he did say there will be signs that you can see that the end is very near. As we look around, we can say, yeah, it seems like it. There's a lot of craziness and even more craziness than perhaps we've seen in past that's going on right now. So yeah, we are in the last days. We are in the end times. But I believe that we as followers of Jesus should live with this eager anticipation and expectation that Jesus could come at any moment. The first, search, first century church did. We should as well. The Bible says it'll happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's like, that's just like that, right? It's like, look, blink, look, gone. Jesus came. Just like in one blink, Boom, the rapture happened, which we'll talk about that stuff later on in the Revelation series. But that's how quickly it'll take place. And so it's important that we know, first of all, yes, we're in the last days. It could happen at any moment. And two, make sure we're ready. Following Jesus, trusting him. So the church was birthed in that moment. 3,000 people got saved at the end of Peter's sermon describing what took, what took place there and what's going on. They accept Jesus and uh, the church grows, expands. You read about that through the book of Acts. 
And then about 30 years later, Nero, the emperor of the Roman Empire, begins to launch full-on persecution against the Christians, becomes an illegal religion within the Roman Empire, which is interesting because the Jewish religion was not illegal, but Christianity was. Interesting. But for about 30 years, we talked about this last week in, in week one, for about 30 years, they're facing intense persecution. John himself, the author of Revelation, faced intense persecution. In fact, Tertullian, the historian, described an incident where John was put in a huge pot of boiling oil because they were trying to kill him because he was preaching about Jesus too much and he wouldn't show it, shut up and he wouldn't uh, deny Jesus. And so they, they tried to kill him, put him in boiling oil, which you'd think that would kill a guy, right? And typically it did, except it didn't kill John. They pulled him out and he kept preaching the gospel and it said, according to this historian, that the entire Roman Colosseum that this took place in confessed faith in Jesus. They converted to Christianity because of this event, which obviously didn't make the Roman Empire happy. And uh, there's other stories about them trying to kill John like they gave him poison. I don't know if this one is legitimate in history, but there, it, it is in one of the history books about they gave him poison to kill him and it didn't kill him. And so they thought something was wrong with the poison, so they gave it to the guy standing next to him and it killed the guy. And then John prayed for him and he came back to life. And so the Roman Empire is like, this John guy, we can't kill him, and he does crazy stuff. And so this, they finally send him to the island of Patmos. That's why he's at the island of Patmos. They can't kill him, and he won't shut up. Put him on this island, and he can preach to nobody out there with all his other convicts. And this is where John <laughs> receives this revelation. You can actually go to this island today. There's a lot of people that go and visit. There's a tour that you can do. You can visit the seven churches in Revelation and go to see all those cities and the churches and the sites. And you can also, as a part of that tour, if you want, you can go to the island of Patmos. It's about 30 miles off of modern-day Turkey. And you can go, and they believe they know the cave where this took place. Now, it's not a very big island, so the odds are somewhat decent that they picked the right cave. Um, that, you know, who knows exactly, but they believe. Because in the third century, the Roman Empire, when, when Roman Empire became like fully Christian, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire, which is interesting to think about when you understand the context of what's going on in the time of the book of Revelation. And then all of a sudden, Christianity is the religion of the Roman Empire. It's fascinating. Anyways, we'll talk about that at a later time. Um, the Roman Empire in the third century went around to all these places that important things took place from Scripture, and that's how they, they, they put up Churches like where they think Jesus died uh, on Calvary, they, you know, where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And you, if you do a tour of the Holy Land, every site you go to, the Catholic Church erected a, a, a church there on that site. So everywhere you go, it's like, I thought this was going to be like this big hill where Jesus preached. No, there's a huge church there. That's what they put up there. And so they did the same thing in Patmos. They put together this, you can see the pictures there, of this cave of the apocalypse. That's what they call it. So all of that to give context for us today as we read verse 9. Listen to verse 9 here, Revelation chapter 1. This is what John says. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering. Now you understand the suffering a little bit more. In the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he gets banished, arrested, and sent to Patmos. And what does John do? He doesn't give up. He doesn't throw in the towel. Well, I had a good ministry run. Guess this is it. 
The glory days are over. He doesn't stop seeking God. He keeps seeking him. You can see he's got a very active worship and prayer life. He, he stays faithful to Jesus. And then one day, I'm sure he had lots of days of prayer and worship, but one day something pretty significant happened. In verse 10, it says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. That one day, perhaps a Sunday, the Lord's day, he was caught up in the presence of God. And God began to download something to him, a message for the church of that day, but also for the church of all day. Now, some scholars believe maybe this means, when you look at the original Greek and all that kind of stuff, maybe this means that John was, was taken from that moment to the end of time. Because when the Bible talks about the Lord's day, oftentimes it's a reference to the, when Jesus comes back. When the day of the Lord happens, that's Jesus is returning. That's the day of the Lord. And so maybe that's what happened is like God transported him to the end of times and so that he went to the Lord's day so he could see what was going to unfold in, in that time. But it's more probable this, this happened on a Sunday, the Lord's day. That was the day that Christians started worshiping. They would go to church and worship and they would celebrate basically that day because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so that's the day that he is in the spirit. And God begins to, to speak to him. This all-important message that doesn't just speak to the church of that day. Man, it ministers and speaks to us today. And I want to pause and just mention to you and I, almost, you know, almost 2,000 years later, that the same Holy Spirit that, encountered, that John encountered there, that, that began to... to speak to him, speaks to us today. The same Holy Spirit who lived inside of John lives inside of every single one of his believers today. And this experience that John had wasn't just for John only because he's a special Bible character, and of course he's going to have that, but it's for you and I today because God is still alive and real, and you and I can have moments like this where we can have an apocalypse. God can reveal things to us, and I want you to know that God wants to speak to you. He wants to show himself to you. And it, it may not be this incredible revelation that's going to impact the entire globe like what's happening for John right here, but it could impact your world. It could change your life. It could be a message you need to hear from God that's going to sustain you for a season that you're going through. I, I promise you, God, by his spirit, wants to give you moments of apocalypse, of a revelation of who he is, of what he wants to do to you, what he wants to speak to you in your life. It is available, friends for all of us. More on that later. And I love it when I hear stories about people having visions. And I've shared vision stories in the past. Um, I, you know, as I left, or sorry, someone else was leaving this morning. I didn't leave. I'm still here. <laughs> someone else was leaving this morning after first service. She was telling me this last week as she was driving down the road, she had a vision. So that's kind of scary. Like, are you going to be able to, you can, did you pull off the side of the road? Did you, are you going to crash? Like, you know, but for her, it was like her eyes were open, but she was still seeing things. She could still drive, thankfully. <laughs> but she had a vision this week that God was just giving her, ministering to her. God still has these moments for us because he's alive. So let's recap just quickly and then dive through the rest of chapter one. Revelation is about three things. There's three big overarching themes of Revelation. First and foremost, Revelation is all about Jesus. 
It's in the first four words, the revelation of Jesus, right there. That's what Revelation is all about him. And so I gave you my very eloquent two-word summary of the entire book. If you want to know, what does Revelation mean? If you've read it before and you're like, what on earth? What was this guy smoking? Here's my two-word summary. It's, it's Jesus reigns. That's the meaning of Revelation right there. That's, that's the message that we get over and over and over again. Jesus reigns. Because Revelation is all about Jesus, and it's all about the fact that he's coming back. He's going to return. So let's read verses 7 and 8 again from Revelation 1. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. On the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, friends, Jesus is coming back. He's going to just as surely as he has already come and fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. He is coming back to fulfill the rest. Depending upon how you break down all the Old Testament prophecies, Jesus has fulfilled, you know, over 300, maybe almost 400 Old Testament prophecies Jesus himself fulfilled when he came the first time. Almost 400 prophecies from the Old Testament that Jesus himself fulfilled. That's impressive. Some really smart guy decided to break that down mathematically. What are the chances, and he didn't do it mathematically with you know, almost 400 prophecies, but he did it with just eight. What are the chances that one guy would actually fulfill just eight of the prophecies? And here it is. The odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of those prophecies is one in that number. That's a big number. If you kind of do the, you know, walk through, you know, the math and all that, I believe that's one in 100 quadrillion. That's a big number. That's the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the hundreds of prophecies. That's all, we're only talking about eight of them. Lee Strobel, interesting guy. And if you could get my mic up a little bit more, maybe in the monitor, I don't know, it went, the, it went down a little bit. That would help my voice so I don't lose my voice too much here this morning. Thank you. Lee Strobel, he was an atheist-turned-Christian. He performed some calculations to try to figure out what this would look like in real life. And so this is what he wrote down in one of his books. He says, I imagined the entire world being covered with white tile that was one and a half inches squares. Every bit of dry land on the planet was covered with those squares. With the bottom of just one tile painted red. Then I pictured a person being allowed to wander for a lifetime around all seven continents he would be permitted to bend down only one time and pick up a piece of tile. What are the odds it would be the one tile whose reverse side was painted red? The odds would be the same as just eight of the Old Testament prophecies coming true in any one person throughout history. And again, Jesus fulfilled almost 400 prophecies. Hey, friends, Jesus is coming back. Those prophecies are yet to be fulfilled, but just like he's already fulfilled hundreds of them, he is coming back. Revelation shows us this, talks about it in a lot of different ways, but Revelation is all about Jesus. Number two, Revelation is all about the church. So it's a letter to seven specific churches, but then you see what Jesus is gonna do in and through the church, and then ultimately Jesus is coming back for his church, for his bride, 
and you see what's going to happen in the end. So it's about the church. And then thirdly, Revelation is about God's kingdom. We get a glimpse into his kingdom. We see what's going on really in the spiritual realm in the book of Revelation. And what we see is there's a battle taking place. There's a battle between two kingdoms, kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And those are ultimately the only two kingdoms we can align ourselves with, the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God. And Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of this world. And his whole desire, his will or plan for your life is to rob you of everything that God has for you. He wants to pull you and I away as far from God as he possibly can so we're not in relationship with him and experiencing the love, the power, and the hope that Jesus offers us. He does not want us to experience the power and presence of God that's in his kingdom, in God's kingdom. And so those two kingdoms are at war uh, with each other for you, for your soul, for the soul and the, the hearts of all mankind. And so in Revelation, we get some amazing imagery of what's taking place within the spiritual realm as this battle is going on there. So John's revelation gives us a glimpse into that. And what we see is there is a battle. It is a holy war. And ultimately, the church and the nations of this world are on a collision course to see which one will last and reign forever. This is what Revelation shows us. All the kingdoms of this world, all the nations, all the governments, they'll all be gone, and only one kingdom will last forever. That's why it's important that we align ourselves with the right kingdom. Because his kingdom is eternal. And so that's what Jesus is showing us here in, in Revelation. So now let's go uh, back to verse 12 here, chapter 1. And John is in the spirit, like we talked about. And here is what he sees. Verse 12. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Okay, so John sees seven lampstands. And what are those lampstands? They represent the churches. And how we know that is because verse 20 tells us very clearly. Revelation is in a sense, you can kind of think of it this way, like Jesus is showing John a vision like it's like a video. It's like here's a video of what's going to happen. Here's what's going on in the spiritual realm. And then Jesus occasionally will hit the pause button. Let me explain what's happening right here. And verse 20 is one of those. Hey, oh, by the way, pause. The lampstands, those are the seven churches you're going to send the message to. So very clearly, Jesus tells us, so we don't have to like, what on earth are the lampstands? What do those represent? So many times in Revelation, Jesus will actually pause and say, this is what this means. This is what this means. And so Revelation is actually easy for us to, easier for us to understand than we think. But John's not too captivated by the lampstands. His attention is captivated by a man that's in the midst of the lampstands, the son of man. Jesus has appeared, and this is the voice that he is hearing, and he is just fully, like he goes into detailed description of what he sees after that. He's like, hey, I see seven lampstands, but then this. It's like he kind of glazed over that to like, then I saw the man, and oh, he goes into this incredible description of the man. And if you read Daniel chapter 7, and chapter 10 in the Old Testament, you will see very similar things that Daniel saw in his vision that John is seeing right here. That's what I love about Daniel. Daniel has a lot of end times prophecy, 
And what you see in Daniel, oftentimes you'll see again in Revelation, but it's like a fuller description, a fuller picture of what Daniel saw hundreds of years before John. But they all line up. So Daniel is, is a really cool read because of that. But notice how vivid this vision is that John has of Jesus. He says, I saw the Son of Man. This is reference to who Jesus was, which, interestingly enough, you know, he's, he, he raised up into heaven in his glorified body, and he's still in that form as, as John sees him, but he's in this glorified form, who he is now. Nowhere else in the entire Bible do we get a description of what Jesus looks like like we do right here. The Bible doesn't have any descriptions of, of Jesus look like this and this and this and this and this. This is the only place. Like when Jesus walked on the earth, we don't know what he looked like. Lots of artists throughout the centuries have tried to portray that and really struggled with that. Like, what does he look like? You know, and, and so, you know, in our country for the last hundred years, he's kind of looked like, you know, the Southern Cal surfer dude with, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes, but that's probably not what he looked like as a Jewish man from the Middle East. <laughs> Something happened there. There was a breakdown in, in, in our thought process. So, this is the only detailed description we have of, of, of Jesus, and this is a description of what he looks like now. This is who he is. What I want to do is I want to pause right here and I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to read through this and I want you in your mind's eye to listen to what I'm going to read and how John describes this vision. And I'm praying that you get a little, a little vision in your mind's eye of the glory of Jesus here. If you're online, do the same thing. If you're joining us there, close your eyes. Let's listen. If you're listening to the podcast, by the way, and you're driving down the road, I recommend keep your eyes open, but just listen. Verse 12, again, I'm going to read this passage. Let your imagination just go there as you listen to this. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining all its brilliance. Feel free to open your eyes. What did you see? Did you get a glimpse of Jesus there? Sometimes as we read through passages like this, we miss the majesty of see Jesus through his word. There's a lot of important descriptions there of Jesus. A lot of it ref references his 
judgment. He's coming to judge. Like the fiery eyes. You can see like the, the gaze of Jesus is so penetrating. Jesus sees all, everywhere, everyone on planet Earth. But I want to just focus for a minute on verse 16, that last verse that I read. In his right hand, he held seven stars. That's kind of a cool image there. His right hand, seven stars. What are the seven stars? Well, thankfully, again, verse 20 tells us. It's the angels of the seven churches. Awesome. That's, that's great, Jesus, because we would have been forever wondering and debating that. So very clearly, angels of the seven churches. The debate becomes like, what does that mean then, right? What is it? So I used to think that it was like, oh, sweet, every, every church has their own angel. Like, we got our own angel out there. Just fighting for us, just guarding us. That's cool. But really what it means is there's an angel that was going to be a messenger to that church that was going to deliver this message. I heard Wednesday night... The Flourish ladies had a fun discussion on this. What, is it, what does that mean? It mean? It's the word messenger. Is it an angel? Um, even some scholars think it perhaps might mean the leader of that church or the pastor of that church is the messenger to, to deliver this message. Regardless, we see those seven stars and Jesus is holding them in his right hand. Then it goes on to say, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword Man, did you have fun picture in that? That's both crazy and cool all at the same time, right? His double-edged sword's out of his mouth. And that is referenced four more times in this letter of Revelation, which shows us that's important. Swords were obviously important back then in those days, right? Swords could take a life. Swords could save a life. Out of the mouth of Jesus, the words that he speak have the power to bring salvation and the power to bring judgment to those who choose not to believe in the message that Jesus brings. This is the power of Jesus' words. It's like a double-edged sword. And so then it says, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. This is imagery that points us to the very end of this book. The last chapter talks about how the glory of the Lord is so bright that the sun is no longer needed. They don't need any more lamps, lampstands, lights. No more electricity is needed. There actually is no more night. Night is forever eradicated because the glory of God is so bright that he gives light to everything, everywhere, every time, all the time. So this is an imagery pointing us ahead. This is where it's going. And Jesus already is shining bright. His face is so bright. And so I love John's response to this. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And you'd probably do that too. If you experienced the glory of God and all of his fullness like that, you'd probably like fall, you'd keel over too. And I've seen this happen before as people experience the power, the presence of God. Like personally, I have been in moments where I encountered the power of God, like he was there in such a real way, I fell down. There's been other moments where the power of God was so heavy. It's like there was this weight to his glory that I just had to lay on the ground and just cry out to him. It's all I could, I couldn't stand. I just laid on the ground. One time I was in this church service and man, you could just sense like God was there in a very, very powerful way. And I saw this lady fall out in the power of God and she hit her head on the side of a wooden pew. It's like, boom, and fell to the ground. I'm like, ooh. 
That had to hurt. <laughs> That'll leave a mark. Like 20 minutes later, she got up and it is as if nothing bothered her, nothing faced her. She didn't even realize she had hit her head. Uh, it wasn't, she wasn't even bothered by it. She just fell out in the power of God. And God was speaking to her in that moment. So we believe that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there are moments when the manifest presence of God shows up and is so real, he is so tangible, you can feel it in an even greater way. And that happens to us and can happen to us. There are moments, these are, I believe there's moments that God wants us to experience just to remind us of how powerful he is. We could never live in this place yet. We will someday, yet. I believe this is why Romans 11 tells us that every knee is going to bow and, and, and declare Jesus as Lord. The New Living says it this way, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. This is what's going to happen in the end as people step into the presence of God fully and completely, many for the very first time, their response is going to be that. They're going to fall to their knees and like, God, you're real. I believe. Because it will be undeniable in that moment. But if that's the first time they do it, it's too late, unfortunately. That's why it's important that we choose to say yes to Jesus now. Follow him now. Trust him now. And experience life in all of his goodness and glory that he has for us today and forevermore. One day, everyone will realize God is real and powerful. I encourage you today to look to him. So, looking at this, uh, this last verse then here, verse 18. I'm going to end it right here. John's fault, he fell down. He's lying there. He's like, I was, it's like I was dead, he says. Uh, verse 17 goes on to say, then, he play, then Jesus came and, and placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And then verse 18, he says, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus is saying to John, hey, now, Remember, I died. Remember that, John? You were there. We were there. We did that together. But I rose from the dead, and I, and I showed you. I showed you I'm alive. I just want you to know I'm still alive. Yes, I was dead once, but I'm still alive. John hasn't seen Jesus in over 30 years. All of a sudden, Jesus comes and visits him and shows him, okay, remember, okay, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Here I am. And he says, don't forget, I have the keys. I'm just going to remind you of that again, the keys to death. And Hades, I wish we had time to talk about keys, what that means. It means he has the authority. In Matthew 28, Jesus is saying, I have the authority. I'm giving you authority. So, friends, it's important that you and I understand, as followers of Jesus, we can walk in the authority that he has given us. You have a delegated authority. I want to encourage you as men and women of God to walk in your spiritual authority that he has given you because he conquered death and Hades, he got the keys, he's got the authority, and he's given it to you. Walk in your authority. So he's got authority over death and over Hades. What's Hades? It basically means the realm of the dead, all the dead people would go. And he's got authority over that, got the keys to that, and he's got the keys to death. Now we understand death, we get that, though we don't like it. Like death for us is so uncomfortable. It's, it just doesn't feel natural to us. We, we don't like thinking about it. And many of us get really scared thinking about death. Like it's, 
it's like this forever, like it's just so unknown that fear can rise up when we begin to think about death. But let us not forget who Jesus is and what he's done. He conquered death. What's that mean? It means you don't have to be afraid. That's why Paul said, where death is your victory? Where's your sting? I don't have to worry. Jesus conquered death. So, yeah, I'm going to physically die, but already I've died to myself and my selfishness. I'm alive in Christ, so I'm already dead. So when I die physically, it doesn't matter because I already died, and I'm going to live forever with Jesus. So Jesus broke the power of death, and so we need to know that we don't have to walk in fear of that. We can walk in confidence and in authority. Jesus has the authority over all of those things. He's greater and more powerful than even why he's God. It shows that he's God. So here's what we got to understand, guys. Revelation. This was written to encourage the church at a very specific time in history. We talked about that last week. But again, it was written to them, but also for us, for the church of all time. And here's, as you, as you read through Revelation, you get this overarching theme again of like, you know, Jesus reigns but to the hurting of the broken, to those that were going through intense persecution. It wasn't everybody, but it was a lot of them. To the hurting and the broken, revelation was a message of comfort and assurance. It's not always gonna be like this. Maybe you're in a season right now of, of brokenness, of hurt. There's just lots of tough things you're walking through. Revelation is a message of hope and comfort to you. It won't always be this way. God's gonna restore. It's gonna, it's gonna be amazing in the end. Be faithful, hold on. Now, to those that maybe aren't struggling, maybe you find yourself in a season like some Christians in that day, they're rich, they got everything they need, maybe they're famous. Revelation is written as a warning. Hey, this world as we experience it right now, it's gonna be gone someday. Everything we're chasing after, everything we think is so important in this life, so much of it is a sham. And it'll leave us feeling way disappointed in the end. The power you think you have, no, it's gonna be gone. Because revelation is a revealing of who's really in charge now and forevermore. It's of Jesus. So Jesus did something pretty special through John here and giving us revelation, right? It's almost as if Jesus was keeping John alive through all those persecution and the, the times or the time they attempted to kill him because he's like, I got one final revelation I'm gonna give to my servant John that the church needs. So Jesus meets him in this moment on a small island of Patmos off the coast of Turkey, which I believe is actually technically part of Greece, which how that works, I don't know. But Jesus meets John there and gives him this revelation. And I want to remind you that John is no more special than you or I. Just because he's in the Bible doesn't make him more special than you the same spirit who lived inside of John lives inside of you as a believer in Jesus. John was just a fisherman who flunked rabbi school. And Jesus walked up and said, hey, I'm a rabbi. I wanna give you a second chance. Would you come and follow me? I got great plans for you. Come and follow me. We followed Jesus, became a leader in the church. And now in this moment, he's receiving this revelation that is a message for all time for, for the church but friends, you and I can experience the same thing because 
to, to God, everyone, you're all special. He loved you. He went to the cross for you because he loves you. And he wants to meet you in moments like this. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to have moments of revelation. And I pray as we continue to go through the series that that would happen, that we would have moments of apocalypse, which is why I'd encourage you to come this Wednesday night for our prayer and worship night. We have an encounter night. This Wednesday night right here, 7 o'clock. There's a prayer meeting every Tuesday night right here at 7 if you want to join the prayer meeting. But this Wednesday specifically, prayer and worship night for the whole church. And here's why I think too often we don't have moments like what John is experiencing. We don't have these moments where we really encounter the presence of God like this in our day and age, in our country. I think it's because we're just too busy. We're way too busy. We got so much going on. We're busy. And the deeper issue is we don't want him enough. But maybe you can pray through that. (laughs) But we want other things more. That's why we're busy. And I firmly believe that God wants to meet you He wants to give you moments where he reveals himself to you. He reveals things to you that you need. And all we got to do is create space. Just spend time with the Lord. That's why I like having Wednesday night worship nights once a month because it's us creating space. Hey, let's gather, create some space just to encounter God. And that's what we're going to do. But I think that we can encounter God anywhere too. You can encounter God in your car. It can happen at home as you get up in the morning and spend some time with him. God wants to meet with you. He wants to spend time with you. This is why we love talking about a slowed down spirituality here at this church. Slow down so that you can be with God. And out of that, how God lives, uh, how God leads you and how you live is gonna be greatly impacted. The church and too many Christians, I should say, too many Christians are, are... love Jesus, but they're not walking in the power of Jesus. There's no depth to them because they're just kind of cruising through life, skimming across the, the surface of, of, of life, just going fast, going fast, but we're not going deep. And we need to go deep. I'm glad that John didn't give up worshiping and praying to Jesus. But you and I can have these same moments. And I wonder, as I was thinking about this this week, I wonder... If John perhaps was reading through the letter to the Ephesians, because we know he's very familiar with that church. In fact, according to history, he made it off of the island of Patmos and died of old age in Ephesus with those Christians there. But the letter to the Ephesians is already circulating. He was at the very least familiar with it. Maybe he had a copy of it and he's, he's reading it and he's studying it. And verse 17 says something very significant that I want to end on for us here today. Paul prays his prayer for his friends in Ephesus, and he says, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation that you may know him better. We don't know what John was doing, what song he was singing, what he was studying, what he was praying about and thinking about. Maybe he was going through Ephesians. We we know he's familiar with them. Like I said, the next week we're going to look at the message to the church at Ephesus. And I just love this prayer that Paul prays. And this is how I want to end. I want to pray this over you and I. Because I believe this is an important prayer. God wants to give you a spirit of revelation and a spirit of wisdom. Do you want that? Do you want to experience him more and more and more? I want to pray that over all of us today. So why don't you go and stand to your feet. 
And let's go ahead and close our eyes. And if you want that, if you want to receive this prayer right now, just lift, stretch your hands out to him right now. And I'm just going to pray over every single one of us. Jesus, we thank you for, for showing us, for revealing to us who you are in just the first chapter of Revelation. Oh, Jesus, you are incredible. You're mighty. We thank you for all that you have done and for all that you are going to do. That's why we live for you and we, we worship you. And, and right now, Jesus, I just pray that you would fill us with your spirit. And I pray the same prayer that Paul prayed over his friends in Ephesus that's recorded in verse 17 of chapter 1. I pray that a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation would fall upon us all. Wisdom and revelation supernaturally so that we may know you better and get closer to you and encounter you and experience you. Yet I pray that over every single one of us. Revelation. God, I pray that as we go through the book of Revelation, we would have revelation. Let that spirit of revelation come upon us. And I pray this over us, over the coming weeks, over the coming days, even this week, Lord, I pray, spirit of wisdom and spirit of revelation over every person listening right now. In Jesus' name, receive that. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.